The Square Ball Podcast. Well, hello, welcome to Podcast 126. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is, returning from his holiday, Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Excuse the slightly croaky voice. We have dived straight into the studio uh, from Ellen Road after we've just beaten Sheffield Wednesday. What a game, what a day. The adrenaline's everywhere, isn't it? It was all right, that. Quite enjoyed it. Uh, well, I'm not really enjoying it. I'm enjoying it and not enjoying it. It's, mm. it's hard to know. I, I feel like maybe my internal organs have failed, but at least partially. You, you can get, like, is too much adrenaline a good thing or a bad thing? I'm, I'm confused. Are any doctors listening can advise? Do we need more? Do we all need to be on an IV drip of more adrenaline? Or do we need to, like, get it out of our systems? And how do we do that? Do we piss it? Can we piss adrenaline? <laughs> I feel like I'm pissing adrenaline. I feel like I'm sweating it out uh, at the minute. <laughs> Pure adrenaline in this room. Ah, oh, the testosterone. We'll get to all that in just a second. First of all, quick heads up that we'll be previewing the Easter. Oh, four games to go. Two of them over Easter running in a bit. First of all, we've got a handful of issue nines left of the magazine. Issue 10. Only two games left at home. Issue 10 will be out on sale versus Villa. But if you want to pick up the last uh, remaining issue nines, grab one from online. Or is it going to be Lowfield's Tunnel? We're going to be flogging the last one. Yeah. Only a few left, so just down there, probably. And if you fancy reading them on your phone, your tablet, whatever, you can get a digital subscription. You get 10 years worth of issues right up to the current one as well. If you get a digital sub, which works out, it's only like a quid a month. And all the articles um, from the current issues this season and whatever put onto the website as well. So you can read them on your phone or if you want to look at them in the magazine style layouts as well, you can. You'll find all that at (laughs) thesquareball.net. Gentlemen, right, we are... 10 points away from promotion to the FA Premier League. How does that sit with you this evening? <sighs> I wish we had I wish we had sort of 15 to 20 games <laughs> left to accrue the, those points because four seems not not nice not necessarily enough. Well, in your absence, Michael, Moscow predicted zero points from the Preston and Sheffield Wednesday games. As it transpired, I'm sure you'll be aware, we managed to get a maximum six points. Reverse psychology, you know. I'm tapping my head as I say this, you see. And it is very true because there are people who have tweeted as saying, why are you always so negative saying we're going to go into the play? It's like, we don't want to. We don't want to. But if we try and reverse jinx it. And also imagine coming from the expectation of getting absolutely nothing out of these games. That is why there is testosterone coming out of my eyeballs as we speak. It's because the sheer, the surge from misery to uh, happiness after spending quite a lot of that journey in absolute terror is wonderful. I mean, long way to go just yet, but let's look back on a week that could well define a season when you look at the points that Sheffield United have dropped, particularly last... We always liked Millwall. Always had a lot of time for Millwall. Neil Harris, stand-up guy, great club. Standing up on his back legs with his little mouth twitching. (laughs) Those giant teeth just chuntering away. Good on him. So we are straight out of Ellen Road from the Sheffield Wednesday game, so let's dive into that then. Have you calmed down enough now to offer some rational thoughts on on the performance? In, in short, probably not. <laughs> the, it got sort of built up before the game because of that Millwall result as well, because I was in the pavilion, not selling, as I should have been. But there was kind of a whisper of it. Obviously, the, there was the penalty and stuff. that was There was a big cheer for that. The, Millwall got a penalty. Sheffield have had a man sent off. Billy Sharp's done his hamstring. There's all this sort of nice news filtering in. Sorry, Billy. It was nice at, at the time. <laughs> We're not sorry. We're not sorry. I'm, I'm, no, it's great I, news. Honestly, fuck your hamstring. If Gary Medine breaks his neck, no really care. <laughs> Probably deserves it, but then, but then, obviously, the, when Millwall actually equalised, there was a little cluster of people who obviously had a more up-to-date thing than than Sky, and there was kind of cheering going on, and you people go, "Millwall scored," but you know, you just waiting to see it on TV, 
It's like, no, fuck this, I'm not cheering. I'm not cheering until Jeff Stelling tells me. Then it came up on the screen. Then just a minute later, you were Chris Wilder chasing a referee, berating him. It was just so nice. It was just so nice. And then obviously straight into the game and it was just all a bit... It was like two and a half hours of not breathing. There was a point towards the end, you know, when it was sort of pinballing around in our penalty area, just that little bit. I did. I caught myself holding my breath. I thought I would have turned blue in a second because that was I was unbearable. I mean, particularly that. But it was very tense in the first half. There was more of a release and a bit more, a bit more of an open game in that second half. But in that first half, I was just wound up like a tightly coiled spring. I don't know about you. The Millwall result was almost the worst thing that could have happened before the game. I was on the gantry where I'm watching the games from this season, and it's a it's an absolute. Wi-Fi 4G dead zone up there. So all I knew was that we were frantically trying to refresh somebody's laptop, Nesta from Planet Football's laptop, to see who had missed the penalty. And then it kind of, the screen just said 1-1 and 94th minute, but no other details, like it froze on that. So no idea what's going on. And then this fear set in and I was looking at the pitch, the players had just come out to start warming up and I was just, I started saying out loud, nobody tell them, nobody tell. And then the cheers came from the crowd and it just added for some reason, it was already going to be a tense evening and with a lot riding on it and just knowing like if Sheffield United had won and our game was just to stay a point ahead of them like that would have been all right we just had to match it but then knowing that actually the gap was there to open up suddenly it was like oh god this is actually the game now isn't it it's not just a big game it's this is potentially the game I remarked to my dad, I mean, it depends if you're old enough to remember it as well. 1992, the run-in, we had a tea time game against Coventry City. Oh God, yes. Yeah, and it kicked off after Man United. I think their drop points was against Forest. They, yeah, they lost to 2-1, I think. Yeah, and I, it felt the same, that sort of tension of, right, it's in our hands now. This is our chance to lay down a marker and get three points. But that, that was an awful game, I remember. Yeah, I was, took the words right out of my mouth. That Coventry City match was just... <laughs> dreadful pain all the way through until uh, Chris Fairclough rose to the occasion. One of the underrated goals in our history, because that was a little bit like Jack Harrison's today, in fact, that it turned a tense game that we were ready to win into a game that we actually, we had the scoreline. It broke that and turned it into something uh, that actually put us on the path. Because they tried to do something similar to us, a little bit like Sheffield United did, which was to have the, the the two up front, wasn't it? Which forced Calvin deeper, you know, wasting time running down the clock and trying to uh, to steal something. So that that's always in the back of your mind. But now we, we're away from it a little bit. Do you think maybe actually there was only really one winner in that game, barring an aberration? I will quote Michael in the car on the way here: "Sheffield Wednesday is shit." They are shit. And they were shit when we played them there as well. We should have, to say we've scored two goals and taken only four points off them this year, we should have, an aggregate score from those two games should have been about 10 in the leads. Because mm. the goal that they scored at their place, you remember, was that ridiculous volley from the touchline. Fluke. Although Bailey Peacock Farrell was in net for it, so probably a little bit of blame his way. Or It was just a fluke. One of those things. He couldn't be expected to see somebody being that lucky. Mm. But across the two games, we've we've absolutely battered them. We had so many chances today and it did kind of feel, it's one of these things this year, I think, oh, we're going to be all right. We're a good team. We are a good team. But then when there's so much pressure on it, the bit at the back of my head just goes, nah, it's not happening. It's not <laughs> happening. Good things don't happen to you. Get used to it. This is, this is how it ends, nil-nil. And you start to think as well, you know when there was that cutback and it almost just bounced off Bamford's leg and just trickled past the post? You thought, is it going to be another one of those days? Is that the one where he was substituted immediately? Yeah, yeah, it was his final touch, yeah. And then we scored immediately, which almost says, I mean, we'll come on to the Preston game, I'm sure, but perhaps the key to promotion is just to keep 
Pat Bamford off the pitch because if he's not on the pitch, we score. <laughs> if he is on the pitch, occasionally, okay, he'll he'll stick a couple in against Preston. But he was fine today. But that uh, I did notice that Marcelo Bielsa normally all season ignores the players when they're substituted. At the start of the season, Kimar Roof was going to him and getting a high five. I think he was told to just cut that out. But when um, Bamford came off straight after that miss, because they'd already got the substitute ready, it was going to happen. Bielsa did go and give him a little handshake. But then I noticed as well, he, he did the same with uh, Click when he came off. And I'm wondering if now we're at this point in the season where everything is that tense that he's being a little bit more, he's defrosting, thawing his relationship with the players a little bit and going, like, all right, I am going to at least acknowledge you exist when I substitute you. But yeah, poor old Pat O'Banford, I mean. How bad I, was that miss? Because from, from the cop end, it was very hard to, to see it. In fairness to him, it came back at him quite quickly, it, as much as bounced off him as he had the chance to die. He didn't really have a chance to direct it. He just sort of hit his leg. Should have gone in given the range. He was so close, but you can see in a way why it didn't, but it still should have gone in. It looked from my angle a little bit like the uh, the one against Birmingham where any other striker, if it hits his leg, it goes in. Like one of those, it hits him, it should just, out of pure luck, really sharps, it's going to hit him and go in, even if he's got his hamstrings snapped just because of the way those players are. But Bamford's just not, like he he has to score one of the goals if he's going to score, which uh, he showed against Preston is capable of. I didn't mean to turn our glorious <laughs> victory into a let's slag off Patrick, but it just it was one of those kind of it kind of sums his look up as well that a minute after he goes off, we score. I bet he was partly on the on the bench thinking, "Hooray, we've scored!" and then thinking, "You know, they could have done that while I was on the pitch, chaps." <laughs> Well, let's uh, review his performance at Preston because it's funny because we recorded the last podcast between the Birmingham game and the Preston game, but I didn't manage to get it out until after the Preston game, just mm. a pure timing issue. And we were probably a little bit harsh. You maybe in particular, Moscow, about Pat Bamford on, on the last one because by the time that hit the airwaves, that podcast, he'd smacked in two goals and should have mm. actually had a third. But just looking back at the Preston game, if you look, given the situation that we're in and the two games that we've faced this week... What a brilliant week it's been. They answered all the critics from from Birmingham and turned in those two performances. And that one at Preston, you look at that one, you think that's a massive banana skin, but they were second best throughout. We were great. We were winning that from the like the fifth minute. Like I could see very early on the pattern was set. We're winning this game. It was fine. But then the, the tension is then, if we're going to win this game, lads, like when exactly are we going to score? And yeah, Bamford's goal was brilliant. I've watched it. Quite a few, there's one perfect angle of it from the corner that the ball lands in, the path of it, the the line it takes. Yes, in retrospect, my suggestion that he should use his family wealth to buy as a replacement for himself um, <laughs> seems a little harsh. But I'd just like to say, if I'd been here, I'd have been really sticking up for him. Yeah, saying what a good chap he is. Whereas Moscow might have just like he did with Bailey Peacock Farrell, you know, make a video of his mm. uh, of his lowlights. What was that about four hundred and five days ago? Now it's resurfaced on Twitter. <laughs> if you want to check the Square Ball account as well, uh, we, somebody dug it up and uh, we retweeted it again just for giggles. It's you never far away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's had some some fairly prominent misses as Bamford this season, but all credit to him for for that performance against against Preston. And the header was great as well, heading back across the keeper and getting it into the roof of the net and all that kind of stuff. There were two really good goals. We probably should talk about his hat trick chance because that is a little bit 
that's Bamford all in, really. And again, isn't he it? missed that chance and then he got taken off then, didn't he? If I remembered that right. Yeah, and when you look at the, uh, as he's walking off, the, the players on the bench, Tyler Roberts in particular, is looking at him and absolutely pissing himself. <laughs> and I, I think he was saying along some of like, do you not want to score a hat trick? Like, what's the matter with you? And uh, it looked a little bit like he was giving back a little bit what he said to his, because his interview afterwards was hilarious when he starts talking about his dad. Touch of the batties about this. Yes, saying you haven't had a, a game for Leeds when you can say it was your best. And Pat says, Pat, I'm thinking, yeah, dad, I've been injured, which is just him all in. And there was a bit of that on the bench. He was like, well, I scored two. What do you want, three? You only got to be in general studies, Patrick. <laughs> it's not even a real topic. <laughs> for goodness sake, all the private tutors you've had. But yeah, if you're not familiar with the tale, Batty's dad used to bash him, didn't he? Bash him, like with a penalty that he missed for the England's World Cup. I knew you'd miss that kind of uh, level of criticism, wasn't it? That sort of thing. I think it got to the point at Leeds where they actually stopped him from coming to games because he used to sit in the West Stand. Batty would look over and he would look over too often and his dad would either give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And in our promotion season, this is in Batty's uh, autobiography, he got so wound up. I think it's a game against Stoke. He was so annoyed by his dad, like making all these negative gestures from the West End that he deliberately gave a penalty away. <laughs> Just booted somebody in the box and then turned to the West End and gave his, flicked the visa at his dad. Thankfully, I think Mervyn Day ended up saving it, but it's one of those things where if we hadn't got promoted just because Batty was annoyed with his dad, I mean, the story probably wouldn't have come out then. Everybody would just be like, oh, that's weird. But imagine today, that kind of stuff. Madness. Um, so yeah, it seems like Pat's, uh, obviously quite different because Batty's dad was a bin man, whereas, um, I think, uh, Bamford's dad like manufactures and sells bin lorries um, and the ilk, uh, so they're, they're quite uh, different spheres. But he, same uh, same pressure on their sons. He doesn't necessarily do anything to. Um, Are you talking about his other interview? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, the words I'm trying to find, I think, it does nothing to dispel the stereotype about him when it, when you hear language like this. When he's talking about what he did at Birmingham, which yeah. was. Uh, do, you, do you want to do it, Lord Bamford? Um, it was a little bit harder there because I was playing against two big brutes at the back. Like the scrum halves. Tonight's, I knew that I was quicker uh, than the Preston defenders, so I knew any balls in behind I was getting onto. And I knew that if I roughed them up a bit, I could get them angry. It's almost like a mental game. He's a funny lad. I like him. Long may he stay. He's like Alioski. He's just such a such a strange, strange boy. Well, back to today, we've had more Alioskis, haven't we? We've been just watching the clips of the strange stuff that he's been doing again, which was like when Pontus came and gave him a kiss on the cheek and then he uh, he accepted said kiss on cheek and then gave him a, a rage tap on the back. Didn't <laughs> he punches him. His face just changes. He, uh, he punches Pontus on the back. Yeah, and one of those glorious moments, it was the first half, just... Uh, it was Berardi tackling Alioski was one of those highlights of football. Two um, absolute maniacs coming together. We probably need to avoid Berardi tackling our own players. <laughs> we should say though, Berardi did well today because he was not meant to be playing, was he? He came in for Liam Cooper with yeah. a mystery thing. Has anyone said what that is? Nothing yet? too serious. They were saying it on the, on the radio afterwards. No, it should be fine. Word for Harrison, I think, in fairness. But Berardi, I think he only got pulled out of position once in the... In the first half, where you kind of held your breath for a sec, but he did he did a really good job, didn't he? And um, but yeah, word for Harrison, who I thought not only the goal but a really good, a good mature performance. Just on that left side, we've, I think we flagged it up before the decision making sometimes between Harrison and Alioski. You kind of go, ah, what you done that for? Like Alioski at one point just twatted the ball into the south stand in the second half. I think Sheffield Wednesday just didn't offer anything, did they? I expected them to be much better because they've they've done pretty well since Bruce came in. But they're shit. They're absolutely shit. They seem to want nil-nil from the first minute when their keeper's time-wasting five minutes in to on goal kicks. Mm. It should have been booked, by the way. If you time-waste like that in the last in the last five minutes when 
Sheffield Wednesday winning, you always get booked for that level of time wasting. Because it was early, the ref was like, can I book someone for time wasting? After five minutes, while it's a draw, it's not really, it's not really the done thing. Well, there was he did stand there and have a proper word with him at one point, didn't he? He said, "Look, I know what you're doing. I'm adding the time on. Don't do it. Mm. Give him a warning. So maybe that was sufficient. Don't give him a warning. Book him. <laughs> Book him immediately. Boot him in his shins. <laughs> <laughs> and Fletcher up front for them. What's he doing? He's the What's one. his actual job? He just seems to barge into people, try and win free kicks, and that's literally it. He seems not even interested in the ball. They've got so many strikers to choose from as well. And basically, since Bruce has came in, he's played Fletcher plus one. So you'd assume Fletcher is the best striker that they've got. So poor do if he's the best that they've got. Yeah, they weren't great, were they? Like you said, at no point did they seem to be wanting to win that. And it's the teams who actually, not go at us and leave loads of space, but at least try and cause us some problems. But you're right, there was no attempt at carving anything out, was there? They just seemed to want to sit back. And, and we were in our risk situation because they played to up front. So it meant we had Calvin Phillips as a third centre-back, which is... One of the problems we had against Birmingham, we always seem to be a bit out of sorts when that happens. But Calvin Phillips today was absolutely superb. And back to Berardi, I think Berardi today showed why when uh, he was playing earlier in the season before he got injured, we were all a bit like, his Pontus Janssen going to get back in this team? Because Berardi looks brilliant playing for Bielsa. He seems to just absolutely understand what it is he needs to do much better than he has for any of our other previous managers. He just, he gets... That job and is superb at it. And Calvin, yeah, was uh, dominant. He was. He felt to me a little bit like maybe his first half, he um, wasn't at his best, I think, a little bit. He wasn't, sh- you know, like he kind of sh- always shows for making angles and, and, and he's like the pivot, isn't he? He's the fulcrum, we've said before. So it'll, they'll knock it around between the centre-backs and he's not always dropping in. But he seemed a little bit lost in that in that first half. But then second half, if you notice the way that they started... And he took a like he took a bit of a whack, didn't he, early in the second half. He seemed to start that second half with a little bit more purpose, but he took that whack and just wanted to get on with it. But he was finding those positions between the defenders and taking a few more risks as well. I think it maybe came out of noticing after 45 minutes that their strikers aren't going to do anything. So Bielsa was out and said, right, you're still the third centre-back, but play a bit further forward. Just come out and do your normal normal thing. Because uh, Janssen and Berardi will kill Hooper or... Uh, Fletcher if they need to. It really helped that they didn't have any pace in their team as well because we could push the defence quite high up knowing there's not anyone actually quick enough to really run around the back of us. Barry Bannon streaking through the middle. <laughs> those little legs of his. And a special word as well for one of our favourites. But today I thought Pablo was just, he was just ace. Just that level of quality of just being calm, particularly in those last five or ten minutes when it got a bit hairy. Just the ability just to drop into a little space, put his foot on the ball and just do the sensible thing with it. He's such a great player. And I love him. I want him to stay forever. You're thinking about the bit um, when the ball was in our sort of right back position. Yeah, and Pablo yeah. just came back. He just dropped in and he cut inside, didn't he? And passed it across to the, the left hand centre back. And that's perfect. I don't think cut inside quite does justice to the way that he beat about three players who just like just kept the ball away from them, not getting it into any danger, tidying up, and then passed to Berardi. And another one who had a really mature game as well, Tyler Roberts. Another great game Tuesday as well. He's just been really good. He's, he's, we've not really missed Saez in the last few games. He's doing what he was doing earlier in the season, picking the ball up in tight little spaces. He's just using it very well all of a sudden. His decision-making is really seems to have come on a lot. Yeah, and I think from the striker we thought we'd signed, we've now got a really good quality number 10, is he? Yeah, and he's 20, which yeah, is I think, crazy. I think that's forgotten because we paid quite a lot of money for him. You almost forget that he's really young. If he'd come up from the youth team and was putting in these performances at the age he has, I think people would be hyping him a lot more. Yeah, his only real previous experience is like half a season for Walsall in League One, playing as a, apparently he was, as Patrick Bamford would say, he was roughing up some brutes. He had quite a reputation for being the uh, uh, the brute rougher in uh, in that division. But yeah, he's uh, 
it's started looking really, really good over the last few weeks. And it's good because you can, Bielsa's kind of switched his uh, substitution mindset a little bit. I think it helps at the back from injury, but we're seeing Dallas instead of Clark and we're seeing Forshaw instead of Shackleton, for example. But Roberts is getting more mature the more difficult and intense this season gets, which for somebody of his age is incredible. And we'll finish this section off then exactly in the place that we started it. 10 points from the Premier League. We're second in the table with a three-point gap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm becoming increasingly intrigued to see exactly how we're going to mess this up. Like we're just it's getting more and more difficult for that to happen which already means, relegated Ipswich could, mm, could do us yeah how spectacular is the you, we the only need a, we be. only need a point from Ipswich <laughs> they're already down they're playing the youth team maybe it could there be, are 16,000 Leeds fans in Portman Road could it even be goal difference so that we could go up even if we lose <laughs> but somehow Sheffield United get enough goals to overtake us Hey, we're on to episode seven of the Extra Ball podcast, our secondary podcast, but equally as good that goes with this one. And this time we are going to be diving into this one. If we do get promoted, who's the first player that we buy and who would be the first player you'd sell? Well, God bless Ryan for thinking that we know anything about football, but you can hear our answers to that by subscribing to the Extra Ball podcast. It helps to support this one, pushes us towards what we're trying to do, which is loads more podcasting. $2.99 a month, your first month free. You'll find that at thesquareball.net forward slash the Extra Ball. Well, interesting to see people actually making visits now to Costa Coffee in Weatherby just to try and spot Marcelo Bielsa. It's likely to become some sort of shrine, I think, when he eventually, God forbid, leaves Leeds United. I believe the coffee there is made with holy water now. Let's hope so. But you were in a Costa Coffee, you shared it with Paul Butler in Knotsford in Cheshire when you were doing a family visit a little while ago. So we threw this open to you. Who have you seen? Where have you seen them? Um, we need to start on something really serious. And I'm sorry, after such a joyous week of football, well, it nearly didn't happen, did it? We, it might have been so much different, this whole podcast, the whole tone of this week. Had this, do we want to call it a murder? An, att- an attempted murder. Thankfully, they weren't successful, but the, the intention was clearly there. King Billy on um, on Twitter, it was their dad, I believe. Um, this is the screenshot of the message. Confession time. Today, I nearly ruined our promotion chances by running over Bielsa. He walked out in front of me at some traffic lights in Harrogate. I did start to curse, then realised it was him, and my angry hand gesture turned into a two-handed wave akin to an excited kid <laughs> greeting Santa. Which I can quite imagine. I oh, you follow! Oh, it's you! <laughs> uh, we signalled apologies to each other and parted friends. I can report it was unscathed and walked away head down, dressed in his black hoodie and tracksuit pants, deep in thought, planning our final push. God forbid I'd hurt him. That's a little bit close for comfort, isn't it? Don't, just if any of you, if any dangerous drivers are listening, just for the next few weeks, just drive safely around North Yorkshire in particular. Drive safely everywhere, because that's important. There is a lot of children playing in the but streets. But drive, drive safer near Weatherby, Harrogate, neck of the woods, where yeah. Bielsa hangs out. The Golden Triangle. You live in Donny or something, fine, whatever. If you if you hit Neil Redfern, you'll probably just bounce off. Like, Carl will get damaged more than him. He's a big unit. So, But Bielsa, uh, Bielsa the, the ball bounced towards him during the game today and he caught it and then he immediately dropped it as if it was like a really hot potato and then walked away with it as if it was, I couldn't work out if his hands had been stung really badly or if it was wet or something, but he walked away as if he was disgusted to have touched the ball. So I dread to think what a, a car would have done to him. I love Marcelo Bielsa. Do you know that? It is nice that they uh, signalled apologies to each other and parted as friends. It's not nice that he's walking. I mean, we're we're talking about drivers being more careful. 
Could somebody want to teach him how the traffic lights work in this country? Because I'm a little bit worried about him just walking out walking. into the road. Yes. Listening to a tactics podcast or something like that. Exactly. This, this one, probably. <laughs> yeah. No? Yep. Yep. For real. <laughs> on to the next one. Tom Hinchcliffe, who has an underscore on the Twitter, met Luke Murphy, Ross McCormack and Cameron Stewart in the nightclub in Leeds known as Church. They were out for Ross's girlfriend's birthday. The night ended with me having a go at Luke Murphy for losing 4-0 to Forrest on the same day, but he was very apologetic. We then had to physically put Ross McCormack into a taxi because he was falling over and mumbling about how Luke was the highest paid player. Unbelievable experience, says Tom, at the age of 17. Now, first things first, let's deal with Tom going into a nightclub underage. Is that Top his responsibility talks. or the uh, the door staff need to be clamping down? Mm. I blame the parents. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Hinchcliffe. How <laughs> Andy, dare you? And the Hinchcliffe, probably. <laughs> uh, now we've dealt that and that out of the way. It's uh, surprised that to hear uh, about Ross McCormack getting uh, tanked off in a nightclub. That is strange. Very out of character. Mm. And uh, surprising that Luke Murphy was um, paid more than him. That's not, though, is it, in a way? I suppose, GFH contracts. But it kind of builds back into the whole uh, Ross McContract things. I think he, he went for so many um, renegotiated contracts because Bates essentially was giving him about £200 increase a year. So it was always that kind of, maybe this was his dream, was to climb the ladder as high as Luke Murphy's wages, but that just meant he had to go up so many rungs or um, fall into so many taxes, whichever. Thanks to Jacko as well, who, again, looks like a Russian bot with his Twitter handle, so I'm not reading it out. But thanks, Jacko, we appreciate it. He has given us another batty sighting. I quite like the batty sightings because such a, a mercurial, enigmatic character that you think, oh, what does batty really do when he's not in a football ground? People say he's not been seen for years, and yet... Well, actually, yeah, this is a long time ago. Uh, so this one says, it says, Missed train back to Selby after a night game circa 1998... Group of four teenagers, too young to get served in a Leeds boozer, so went to McDonald's, as they do. Maybe they should have gone to church. Get in there. Yeah, easy. David Batty pulled up in a white Toyota Supra, walked in in his full LUFC gear, nodded at us and said, all right, lads, been to the game. Amazing. That's all you need from Batty, isn't it? What do you reckon Batty gets at McDonald's and what's his order? I reckon he's going for the special order because he do not want the sauces. Just plain, mate, just a burger. No cheese, no, no sauce. Burger, bun. Thank you very much. Another serious section and a, a sad turn of events here in this where we catch up with the events of the week that one of our former stars is being pimped out. Basically a gigolo. That's what's happening now. I mean, he wasn't the greatest footballer, but he always had the he always had the looks for it, didn't he? Uh, this is David Norris, of course. Um, and if you if you want a if you want a quick go on him, <laughs> you could. <laughs> and who doesn't? It, it could be yours from just twenty five pounds. I mean, I was going to say it is only a date that is on offer, but that's how they always say though. It's just because they're not allowed to advertise. Yeah. It was the full. The yeah. full works, are they? Yeah, exactly. I notice you must be 21 or over. You so must be it's... over 25 if you want the executive package. That's what it says as well. But uh, yeah, uh, the date is at uh, in Queensbury for a, a three-course meal and a bottle of wine. Sounds all right. Twenty-five quid. We should say this is this is fundraising for a for a charity thing. But yeah, you can you can go and have dinner with with David Norris if you want. So I think we've started the extra ball already to get a few extra quid in. Anyone want to go on a date with any of us? Me and Dan are married, but I don't think it, it won't stop me for twenty-five quid. I don't think my wife even noticed, to be honest. <laughs> Probably glad to get you out of the house. <laughs> yeah, that's why she lets us do this. Yeah, honestly, a bit, bit of peace and quiet in charge of the telly remote. It's not Leeds. On David Norris, though, he, the other week he was on the Under the Cosh podcast and had some interesting things to say about um, about Neil Warnock and his yes. time there, about saying uh, how he would bring players on if they split appearance bonuses, um, and also said that 
if uh, if you were going to get fined, he would sort the fine with you for less than the official club fine. The money went to a charity. Of his choosing, wasn't it? Of his of, of Warnock's choosing, yes. Yep. Which I think potentially with a blank check presented to him, and he was like, "I will put I will put the name of a charity on this and make sure it gets to them." <laughs> it was just quite a nice little insight into into Warnock. You see, normally I, I look to uh, Dan with his extensive uh, experience in broadcast media about uh, for guidance on the rules about repeating a libel. Are we all right with this? Is this okay? Well, it's not libel, is it? If there is a witness account there, I don't think. I think this is fair comment and we've not done anything to suggest that Neil Warnock has done anything untoward. We're just reporting the comments of uh, of David Norris. And da- David Norris with his lying eyes. Beautiful eyes, I was going to say. Well, that's... But yeah, your, your word's not mine. They're always the ones that lie. I also found out from that that David Norris has um, a Jim in Pontefract. So Pontefract, all of a sudden, becoming the fulcrum of, of ex-Leeds players. We've got Redders and Lucy Ward. We've got Paul Green, David Norris. He actually is a PT trainer for quite a lot of the Leeds ladies team. I don't know if they're paying him more or less than 25 quid. I've heard good reports about that gym and its uh, facilities that for footballers getting, getting fit. We know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you see, now that, for example, is more libelous than the stuff about Warnock. So that's not, I'll leave it in. It's fine. That's Michael Normanton who's saying those words. No, I'm not surprised the reports are good. <laughs> a special knock on the door to get in, little hatch slides open. It's a very small gym, isn't it? It just seems to be, a, just seems to be an apartment. It's very dimly lit. <laughs> knock on the door for Norris. Should we move on? I think we'd better. Have we bought somebody? Apparently so. I read this. I, I mean, I've never heard of the guy. It seems a very low-key signing to... Uh, launch our Premier League campaign, but someone called Stuart McKinstry, a 16-year-old uh, winger from Motherwell. Never played for Motherwell. Mm. Been on the bench once. 150 grand. But are we outside the window? What's the story here? I think we've made it assigning him at the end of the season. Oh, okay. And he's a child, so he's probably got GCSEs to finish or something. <laughs> well, what are they in Scotland? Are they they're called... Uh, oh, GCSEs. Hires or something, aren't they? I mean, uh, really? <laughs> you always come back giddy when you've been to a game. I know, it's great, isn't it? But it could be all right. I mean, we signed uh, Jordan Stevens from Forest Green Rovers when he was about 16, 17, and he's looking like a very good player. So perhaps Stuart McKinstry will not just become another Lee Irwin. He was from Motherwell, wasn't he? Lee Irwin was from Motherwell, and he's, he's gone on to have a fine career playing for Tractor Stasi. people Tractor. in the Iranian League. That's what we were on about the other week, wasn't it? Yes, and somebody very kindly uh, tweeted at us that he came on as a, a substitute and scored the fastest hat-trick in Iranian Football League history. Apologies if we can't remember who you were, but the content of your tweet has stuck with me over the last few weeks. Who held that record before him? <laughs> Enoch Shawumni. Interesting. I didn't realise we had so many links to the Iranian League. I might be wrong about that. Maybe like somebody should check that. But the Lee Irwin thing is confirmed dope gen. Who's uh, found this one then, this this link to the guy? John Swift, is it, at Reading? It was probably a bit of lazy paper talk, but £7 million from Reading. I don't think anything at Reading is worth £7 million. So I'm against this guy. And he's, he's 23 years old, a midfielder, and he was from Chelsea originally. And he sounds just like Lewis Baker. <laughs> but Swift sounds like he'd be quick. If we're going for the old, is it nominative determinism it's called? I did watch his highlights video after um, his name was raised and it was just a lot of like really slow drag backs. He seems to be very good at like doing a slow drag back and a turn, which is probably the most dynamic thing that happens in uh, Reading's team. It starts with him. He's got quite an indie pop fringe and he says something like being really excited about going there to play for Yap. Yep, Stam, he means. Um, yeah, well, yeah, so... We're not saying we can't have that then. No. If it was the John Swift that wrote Gulliver's Travels, that might be more interesting because um, 
I'm sure he'd he'd have a, a fine time with uh, Alioski, who is probably the nearest thing to a Lilliputian in uh, in human form that we've we've seen lately. Actually, the Lilliputians were humans; they were just small and then also big. I think it's a long time since I've paid any attention to it. Anyway, it's got the same name as Jonathan Swift as Jonathan Swift. Two people, same name. Jokes. It's a high level literary joke. Yeah. There's not been a lot of news this week because we're just absolutely so consumed with the tension and the the horror of the promotion race. We don't have an injury section, don't we? No new ones, just Barry Douglas still. Well, Cooper, Cooper, yeah. Cooper, maybe. Yes, it was described, we heard on the radio as we were coming in, they said it was an unusual muscle that was injured. Has he been going to that special (laughs) gym, we say? Norris. Yeah, Norris's special gym. But it's low lighting. Maybe he did that. Maybe he banged his knee because it was all dark in there. Who's going to say? Who's going to well, do d- it? Will Norris bang your knee for a, for a fee? <laughs> Onto this now then that has taken on a life of its own. wasn't intended to get as big as it has. It's the thing that everybody's talking about. The most significant thing from this day, this whole week probably, is that the blasphemy baton has changed hands again. If you need an explanation for this, apologies because it is getting longer by the week. But essentially, started in January with a test of God's preference. Was it Stoke or Leeds? Because Nathan Jones, very religious, puts a lot of his success down to God. They beat us. Preston beat them. Remained unbeaten for two months. It's then changed hands via Reading onto Hull. They went to Middlesbrough this weekend and lost. So Borough, currently God's chosen team. The God Rod is being passed around like David Norris's reputation <laughs> at Good. the moment. You chose your words well there. Yeah, he can't stay in Middlesbrough. I mean, although they do need something. I mean, a, a year of Pulis and not even successful Pulis because that's the thing with him. You take him on the grounds that you're going to actually be good. Shit house your way to promotion. You're going to actually win yeah. some games and they've not deserved what they've, what they've had this year. He's just defaulted to doing exactly what he did at Stoke for so long, which is just keep them up. Like he's not, his mind can't compute a promotion challenge. It's We're just, in the top half. This is great. What did you expect? Now they face Stoke this coming weekend, do Middlesbrough, which is interesting because this originated with Stoke and you know who Stoke face on the last game of the season, don't you? You know who, who it is, don't you? Sheffield United. Mm. The circle may yet complete. God does seem to be uh, turning against Chris Wilder and his merry men at the moment. It sounds like Billy Sharp and is it Chris Basham have both got hamstring injuries out of this uh, hilarious Millwall result. <laughs> and also the the structure of that Millwall, Millwall result where it's players sent off for handballs. I'm not sure who that was, but they'll be banned for a certain number of games. And a then- cheat, a cheat who <laughs> deserves to be banned forever. When Suarez did it, people lost their mind about it. And then that penalty being missed, toying with them. And then the last minute goal, which I've still not seen. So I don't know what Chris Wilder was so upset about, but perhaps it was a ghoul from hell. I hope it should have been ruled out and I hope they're correct. And I hope he's furious. Agreed. Yeah. Can't see any faults with that. And uh, I hope that God is laughing along with us and that this is uh, the blasphemy baton is taking on the proportions of scripture that it seems to be that the, the book of Revelations ends with Stoke being Sheffield United. Stoke also have to play Norwich, so... I'm more than happy for it to stay with them until the end of the season. Well, they've got to beat Borough first. Bit of a tough one last week, picking our heroes and villains, given the defeat to Birmingham and all that. But a far more uh, fertile ground, I think, to pick from this time with victories against Preston and Sheffield Wednesday. Heroes and villains, people who've made us feel sad, people who've made us feel happy. One of each. Let's start with the sadness. Get that out of the way first. The Ken Bates Villainy Award. Who's made us feel a little sad this week? We start, as always, with Kenneth Bates. 
Because if you're a new listener, that is the custom on this bit. What's Ken done? Has he done anything? Not Ken Bates, but if you saw anyone who saw Ken Anderson's statement, the Bolton chairman, it was so Ken Bates, it almost made me think he'd come back. He was saying, oh, I know people haven't been paid, but it's not that bad, is it? And the was, players, he bl- was he blaming the Chinese? And the players were rubbish before then anyway. Thirsty children in Africa. <laughs> so yeah, it was just made me think of that really. Ken Anderson has been knocking out these statements uh, at a rate that um, Ken Bates would have been proud of. The, the only difference is that um, Ken Bates used to tell it personally to into Ben Fry's ear, who now, uh, if you've seen the other news this week, Ben Fry would take that news and would yell it in uh, York City Centre because he's taken up a new job as York's town crier. So I could imagine him, hear ye, hear ye, Leeds United is a lot of foreplay and slow arousal. Hear ye, hear ye, the Chinese have done nothing for us, etc., etc. But yeah, Ken Anderson is just uh, typing it on the website. Somebody appears to have given him Bolton website's uh, login. I mean, it goes on for ages. I do random things. You could just do them in basic for I accept two wrongs don't make a right and everyone should be paid on time. But it's great that there's a, there's a condition on that. Have I mentioned on this podcast that I missed out on a job to Ben Fry, you know, because I went for the Minster FM breakfast job, didn't get it, lost out to Ben Fry. We wanted Ben Fry for this, to be honest, but he got the Minster job. So mm, I went for Yorktown Crier as well, didn't get that. The players have only been paid late three times. The reality is they've always been paid. Yes, late, three times. It's great. It is straight from the Bates playbook. Several local individuals making themselves very busy talking to the media and anyone else who will listen, says the man who is talking to the media and anyone else who will listen. Is there some kind of scenario where he ends up taking us over? I think there's a scenario where Ken Bates ends up at Bolton. One last... They've already got a hotel. Suzanne, I've got to save them. Oh, God. Hey, we need to mention King Billy's dad as well, who we, who we mentioned earlier on. He has to be in. I mean, I know he didn't run Bielsa over, but he swore at him mentally, didn't mm. he? So, Don't seem- even thinking an ill thought about him for a second, not acceptable. seems like Marcelo's made his peace with him, though. So it's... Marcelo would want us to forgive, but I'm not Marcelo. Marcelo holding a grudge, though. I think about some of the referees that he used to argue with in Argentina. Probably a lot of them don't sleep soundly in their bed. So if Bielsa's all right with King Billy's dad, I think he's probably not going to win this. So I'm going to nominate Tom Lees. Um, it's his fault, isn't it? I have, if anyone's listening to the extra ball where I seem to be morphing into Neil Warnock because I can guess every word that comes out of his mouth, blaming Tom Lees. But uh, the only good thing that Sheffield Wednesday did today from their point of view was changing the ends around at kickoff so that we played to the cop in the first half. Was that Leeds' fault? Leeds was the captain, ah. and I'm sure he obviously knows which way Leeds prefer to play, so he's gone, right, go the other way, and then I'm sure he walked back, winking at Barry Bannon, going, got this in the bag today, Baz, sorted it now. So yeah, Tom Leeds for that uh, that small little piece of villainy. Otherwise, I was quite pleased to see him again. I, was still I, think, I think as well, he's probably forgotten that the South Stand is now open again because he obviously was there during that <laughs> dismal period where Bates was just shutting large sections of the ground to save on stewards because he was a cheap, horrible bastard. <laughs> and yeah, in retrospect, we... I do feel sorry for Tom Lees because well, for some reason I was looking at the uh, the timeline of the opening weeks of Hockey Day. I don't know why I say opening weeks because they were the same as the ending weeks. <laughs> but yeah, Chilino got rid of Tom Lees to Sheffield Wednesday for nothing. And then we lined up against Millwall on the opening day with Jason Pierce and Scott Wooten as our centre-backs. And then he rushed out and he gave Chesterfield all the money they wanted after we'd uh, refused to meet their 
asking price on Liam Cooper, even put the statement on the website saying, we have ended our interest in the player, wah, wah, wah. And then when we saw those play, when they got him, and then Sam Belushki as well, just absolute panic had set in. Whereas you keep Tom Lees, you don't Tom have Lees to do any been, of that stuff. He would have been a steady presence for many years, whereas Wotton and Belushi were about the worst thing you've ever witnessed. They were dark days, weren't they? They were very dark. I'd forgotten who'd sold Tom Lees, and that explains why, because it was Hockey Day. Do you think well, he had much no, say in it? No, of course not. But who, I forgot who was manager when Tom Lees was sold. And who was manager when Tom Lees was sold, really? Yes, indeed. Really? I'd like to nominate the EFL for not giving Player of the Month to Pablo. Something, again. Yeah, something going on there, isn't there? Who did get it? Some guy called Semi Ajayi from Rotherham. Never heard of him. He's got five goals, didn't he? Not even full Ajayi. He's nope. got half of one. No, nope. named after a half-flaccid penis. <laughs> you could have said Semi Detached House. You didn't have to go there. It is worth also throwing some flack at the EFL for not putting him in the team of the year. I know it was, was it decided by managers votes and stuff, but even still, it's got EFL's badge on it. Can we... Can we? Yeah. Nominate for, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, we can, if it's not voted by managers, we can nominate 23 people. That's true. If that came through, if the managers all voted for it and Pablo wasn't there, you'd fix it. Yeah. If, if you're in charge of the AFL, you would, wouldn't you? It's a secret ballot, and I'm sure Sean Harvey has no problems. We all saw him attempting to pull. You know, you're talking about libelous stuff. Numbers out of the hat for the uh, Carabao Cup. What an absolute farce that was at times. I'm sure he could have just pulled players out of a, a hat and equally put together a team that actually reflected some sort of reality. Giving it to Sean Harvey again, then, are we? Mm, I feel like this Ken Anderson wanker needs a bit of um, just a, like a punch on the snoot. But he's not nominated, is he? He was there as a surrogate for Ken, so we can't oh, give it to Ken. It's against the rules. That's a shame. Okay. Then, yeah, it'll have to be Sean Harvey again, basically. Won't it? Congratulations once again, Sean Harvey, for your misdeeds against Pablo Hernandez. On to happier matters now, then. The Andy Hughes Hero Award, recognition of somebody who has brought us happiness. Pat Bamford for his response against Preston. He bullied those brutes something rotten. He really showed them who's boss. It's great. The the full version of that interview, he talks about how uh, he went into a tackle against um, Ben Davis. He's like, and you saw what happened next. Then he had a go at me and he got a yellow card. You see? That's what it that's what happens when I rough up a centre half. They get they get in trouble the with the referee. The boys get really cross. Pontus Janssen would say if a striker came at him, he'd basically punch him off the ball and give him as black an eye as he had after the Preston game. Uh, whereas Pat Bamford's more like, uh, yeah, he had a go at me and then I totally got him in trouble with the referee. I told the prefects. But yeah, for his goals and for getting out of the way so that Jack Harrison could score against, we'll give him the credit for the, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday resort as well. Pat Bamford's had a good week and I'm pleased for him. And I'll throw in actually Pontus Janssen for uh, carrying on playing with that golf ball growing over his eye because I think it would have been quite reasonable for a player with that coming out of his face to go, only a couple of minutes left of this, you'll be all right without me, lads. I'm, I think I'm going to get some ice on this. Nope. It would have been more heroic if it wasn't self-inflicted, if he hadn't just headbutted the back of a man's head with his eye socket. It always seems to be impressive. It was Deepdale where he had that concussion that where he ended up missing two weeks of games and nobody has ever been able to work out what actually happened to him. It's just like the ball came into the box and he just hit the deck and disappeared. So it's something about being in Preston and his head. Another good reason why we need to get out of this league is to protect Pontus's fragile bonds from uh, maybe it's that lamb that they have on their badge, like grabs its crook and just starts whacking him with it. Over there in Priest Town. I'd like to nominate Marcelo Bielsa for his decency in the face of an unprovoked road rage attack. It's good, yeah. 
because it could have turned nasty. I mean, if I'm sure if you tried to, uh, we don't know the details of what's happened at Barnsley today, but if you imagine trying to run Joey Barton over, I don't think he'd take kindly to it. Has he been arrested or what's happened? The police stopped him from leaving Oakwell in a hilarious video where he drives past one policewoman. Who's running to stop Joey Barton <laughs> and, then and go stra- run straight past him. And then comes running back once one of her colleagues has put his hands on the bonnet of the car as if he's come out of the Sweeney. He's like, you ain't going nowhere. Well, it's South Yorkshire police, so I don't know why I'd be talking. The flying squad that have got him from downside, you ain't going nowhere, Barton. Get back in that grand. South Yorkshire police as well, they could just alter their statements after they've taken them as well, couldn't they? Indeed. They, they're known for keeping order um, outside football stadiums, so yeah. Yeah, but the word on the street is that Barnsley's manager was had his blood pouring from his face, according to one of his players' uh, since-deleted tweet, but at the time of talking, we don't know what went on. But considerably different outcome uh, from Marcelo Bielsa, who has managed to resist twatting any other managers. So maybe that's another reason to nominate him for hero. He's managed to get almost get through an entire championship season uh, without twatting anybody. We I'm don't... sure he would have wanted like a spe- Millwall away when Neil Harris started giving out about our celebrations. He must have looked across him and thought, I really just want to throw you in a river. Not realising that that would be his preferred natural environment. Well, if Derby do sneak into the playoffs and we can somehow contrive to throw away this three-point lead, there is still the opportunity, perhaps, for us having a Wembley showdown with Frank Lampard and that being the crowning glory as we get promoted, Marcelo Bielsa chins Frank Lampard. <laughs> I mean, he could he killed him with kindness at Elland Road. His face, that handshake at the end of the uh, the game after Spygate, where he's watered. Thank you for the game today, Francis. Um, was wonderful. And then, yeah, so he's got that in the bank, ready for a surprise rabbit punch at Wembley. Just knock him out. Need a word on Alioski as well for. Continued hijinks and antics, for example, is receiving a kiss from Pontus and then smacking him mm-hmm. in response. There was a good video of him in the tunnel before they went out to warm up against Preston. Where they're shaking it. Yeah, they've got one of those kind of pull-out ones like they have at Ellen Road. And Flying just, pizza should have been written on the side. <laughs> just for no reason, he's just standing there shaking the entire tunnel. Call, can, calling over some Salim Lamra. Salim, he's doing it again! Yeah, he's the, doing it again! The you see people out from outside the tunnel kind of running. There was stewards and I think maybe policemen outside as well kind of looking like what's going on in there and I think they all probably got there and went oh it's that guy <laughs> it's the one who was eating wood lice in the car park <laughs> give him a wide berth <laughs> also I think from from either the press and all the Birmingham game Alioski was snapped going to the stadium holding his phone and on the back of his phone case was a picture of himself which is a bit weird but then there was some pictures put on the official website of this visit to the the heart ward of the, the club's kind of official charity of the year. And Alioski's there again, clutching his phone with a picture of himself on it. But it's a different case. So he has at least two phone cases with pictures of himself on, which leads me to think he's probably got a dozen. <laughs> and he's, he swaps them every day. Part of his deal with his, his management company is like, new phone case every day, please. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> but yeah, he's a brilliant weirdo. I love him. Anybody else? The Supporters Trust, they have arranged for there to be, as of today, free sanitary products in the ladies' toilets at Elland Road and also got the club to put in dispensers of not free sanitary products in the toilets at Elland Road. So that's, this is rolling out across football, but it's good to see Leeds getting in there. First, that uh, there will just be baskets of tampons and such for those who need them for now, which is as it should be. And it's just a nice symbol of us becoming a decent club again with decent principles at the heart of it, you know? They don't have to do this, but by doing it, and it's at a fairly small expense. If you look at the um, on 
blog, they have the, the story of how it was arranged and it was uh, an email to the club saying, oh, we think this is a, a problem. One of the people on the board at Lusted encountered a young girl at, at a game who was caught short. So emailed the club, said, oh, could we do something about this? Email came straight back, said, yes. And they had dispensers in by the end of the week and gave them access to go and put in the products for free. So it's imagine the, we would raise the spectre of Ken Bates not moments ago. Imagine the response. Women, bleeding. Want something for free? Women bleeding in my stadium. <laughs> but he'd have them all burnt at the stake. Susanna, is this true? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, and this is as well, on a more serious note, you think back only a few years when Chilino's making our players bring in packed lunches, you know, versus this where it's like, yeah, we can take care of that, it's fine. Back a few years when he was sacking women from the staff because he thought that the male players were going to have sex with them all. It wasn't only uh, Lucy Ward. I think there was another female trainer at Thorpe Arch who was got rid of on that pretext. So Distracted by oestrogen. It's, uh, it's a little bit different to how it, uh, how it was. Do we want to pick a hero from those then? I'm going to give it to Patrick because I feel bad <laughs> about not just about suggesting that he should buy us a better striker than him, but also for Riley enjoying the fact that he was substituted moments after missing um, a big chance and moments before Jack Harrison. I mean, that was a good finish from Harrison as well. Um, just what you sort of want Bamford to do. So it's kind of, yeah, to make my own, to make myself feel better, basically. Yeah. You want to shut down your own demons and give him a guilt award. Is that, that about it? Yeah, the guilt award is probably a good way of putting it, yeah. I feel we make fun of him too much as well, so just for being a, a posh twit. <laughs> so, yeah, let him have it. Yeah, for being a bally good sport as well. You've Pat Bamford, he really is a brick. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast earlier on, we are now 10 points from promotion. Stop saying it. It's true, Michael, and I want you to finally admit that we're going to go up this year and it's now well within our grasp. Four games remaining, three wins and a draw is enough. Probably That's three. a lot though, isn't it? That's still a lot. Three it is a lot. A draw. I'll tell you what, then out of these two games, we've got uh, Wigan, which you have to expect us to win because they're not a good side. They are terrible and they're really, really terrible away from home. Uh, they won in August was the last time they won away from home. What I'd quite like is for us to beat them off the back of Sheffield United dropping further points, which means we can go into the Brentford game, which I'm slightly worried about, but with a cushion because I think that is the toughest out of all our four remaining games, that away game at Brentford. Yeah. Tougher than Villa at home? I think so. I think we've got when they've got the home crowd, and I think Villa will attack, which will give us space to play in. So it's one of those games we could just kind of go out in a kind of West Brom way and mm. potentially win that. I think it'll be a more open game. Um, I feel like we never win at Brentford. We'll be helped this time by not having, and now I'm trying to remember which of our ludicrous goalkeepers was actually, in, it was Lonergan at Brentford last season, wasn't it? It was when we thought, oh, we've, we've got Felix out the way. We've signed Andy Lonergan, good old safe knuckles, Loners. Nothing can possibly go wrong now. And within moments, he was uh, just throwing the ball to Brentford's players, basically. It's also where um, their really tall defender got into an argument with Saiz, who came up to about his midriff and was caught on camera pretending he couldn't see him by putting his, his hand to his eyes over his head and going, I can hear somebody shouting at me, but I can't see them. Which, not just because Saiz has left us, it was fucking hilarious then. I thought it was genius. Just one thing to note, though, about the league table positions that Wigan are still fighting for their life down the bottom end. Brentford sort of slap bang in the middle. They're not going anywhere. Can't go up, can't go down, really. So the only thing is they don't really have anything to play for. And then you look ahead to that Villa game 
and you would expect them to be in the playoffs by that point. So maybe that's when they're taking the foot off the gas a little bit with one eye on the mm. playoffs. I mean, Brentford, I noticed they have their striker is Neil Mopé has 22 goals, which is a lot. I think that's a lot of goals. And they've got two midfielders, got 10 each, Ben Rama and Ollie the Cheat Watkins, as uh, Salim Lamrani would name him. <laughs> and yet they're still only 14. But how, sh- that's like leads with Ross McCormack levels of shit where you just like, you've got some really good players, but the players around them are just dragging you down. There was a spell in the season earlier on because I looked at their form guide and it was coloured red and green, you know, for obviously wins and losses. And it was literally red, green, red, green, red. Like they just never seemed to really draw any games. It was just either win or lose. And that's sort of the tale of their season. They've won some games, but they'd lose an equal amount. We've got into this no draw pattern as well, haven't we, recently? I think I might have said before on this podcast, actually, and I hate to give credit to Neil Warnock, but it was out of his mouth that Warnock said that when you're in the championship, you might as well go hell for leather and lose a game as draw them because draws are what stop you getting promoted. And actually three points is the equivalent of three draws it's three over three games, you know, so you might as well go for it. Win two, lose one as draw all three. Warnock also said that though, because he just doesn't care. So you might as well go for it because if you lose, still get paid. Don't matter. Norris, Tongi, get your kit on. You're going on for the last two. But we should, and I presume, hopefully, given where we are, we'll beat Wigan on Good Friday. We I mean, do need to check because Wigan, according to whoscored.com, they are strong at creating scoring chances and at shooting from direct free kicks. So those are two things that we really do need to watch out for against Wigan. But their goal difference is minus 17 at the minute as at the time of recording, so... It's got 19 goals away from home all season. Well, yeah, one of their weaknesses is finishing scoring chances. So as they're good at creating them, but you could say the same about Leeds. Maybe if we're looking for somebody to take Pat Bamford off our hands in the summer. Wigan, Will Griggs not on fire anymore. Have a try with this lad. <laughs> I think we really need to focus on making Sheffield United lose. The injuries have, have helped do what we can. If um, people want to run over Sheffield United players, or at least scare them. Yeah. <laughs> No, don't don't please run anyone over. No. Not if there's any cameras watching you. No, no, no. We should say, just for the record, that we don't advocate you attempting to murder or actually murdering Sheffield United's players. Yeah, but if you're Dean Henderson's milkman and you want to put a little laxatives in it, I wouldn't have a problem with that, for example. Yes, mild childhood pranks. If you are Dennis the Menace and you do have a catapult and you just want to fire some marbles in the general direction of Sheffield United players in the street, Probably don't, because you could blind them. <laughs> oh, aim for their asses. That's fine, yeah. Hit their ass. Bruises. Maybe put a whoopee cushion under the seats on the coach so it distracts them. On the bench, uh, um, in fact, that's something that somebody should do. If you can trespass at Bramall Lane, <laughs> that's where it slightly becomes legal. Uh, but if you could arrange for whoopee cushions on the bench before their next game at Nottingham Forest, that would put them off. Uh, Brentford away, though, does this look like the most difficult game to you then out of the, out of the running? Yes. They all look difficult. They all look quite difficult. <laughs> they do, they do. But yeah, I would say this is the one I think we're most likely to lose. We've got to bear in mind as well, we have given a lot of time to the, the God Rod and the Blasphemy Baton over the last few weeks. This, these games are taking place over Easter. So we are playing Good Friday, Easter Monday, Crucifixion, Resurrection. I don't know what part religion is going to play in our season, but it feels like that is going to be a factor that we should probably go to the temples of our personal denominations and pray. Pray, 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 like MC Hammer. Gotta pray just to make it today. And that draws this freewheeling episode of the Squareball Podcast to a close. Get your hands on one of the remaining copies of issue nine of our fanzine. Last few on sale versus 
Wigan. And 10th and final issue will be out for Villa. Links to those if you fancy getting a digital version of it on the website. And please, please, speaking of religion, for the love of God, please subscribe to The Extra Ball. Check it out at least on the free month. If you don't fancy it after that, then fine. We won't like it, but we'll understand. Two ninety nine a month is for our podcast that goes hand in hand with this one. Everything you need is at thesquareball.net. And potentially those few remaining podcasts and issue 10, the last we ever do in the championship. Or not. Could be loads more forever after this, but we'll pretend that issue 10 is going to be a collector's item anyway. But we'll have a far clearer idea when we speak to you next time. Which is terrifying in itself. I almost don't want to know. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. The Squareball Podcast. Podcast.